coming up on Economics Explored. Janet Yellen's been making, you know, look, she seemed to have sold her soul for political purposes. As the head of treasury in the U.S., she is a political appointee. So, you know, that is, a, to some extent, a political position. Welcome to the Economics Explored podcast, a frank and fearless exploration of important economic issues. I'm your host, Gene Tunney. I'm a professional economist based in Brisbane, Australia, and I'm a former Australian Treasury official. This is episode 151 on whether the US economy is in a recession. Joining me is returning guest, Darren Brady-Nelson. Darren is chief economist of the Australian think tank, Liberty Works, and he's also an economics associate at the CO2 Coalition in Washington, DC. As well as chatting about the US economy, Darren and I discuss climate change and the review of the Reserve Bank of Australia. In the show notes, you can find relevant links and details of how you can get in touch. Please let me know your thoughts on what either Darren or I have to say. I'd love to hear from you. In the show notes, I'll include links to some great commentary on whether the US actually is in a recession from two previous guests, Michael Knox and Stephen Kirchner. So make sure you check those links out. Righto, now for my conversation with Darren. Thanks to my audio engineer, Josh Crotz, for his assistance in producing this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Darren Brady Nelson, Chief Economist at Liberty Works. Welcome back onto the program. Thank you. Good to see you. I guess it's been a while since we last spoke about woke capitalism, I think. Yes, that's right. That was a, a few months ago. So, uh, yeah, it's good to catch up again. Uh, this is our 151st episode, and this is your. 11th appearance on the show, if I'm counting correctly. So, uh, yeah, we, we get around to another chat every uh, 15 episodes or so. So it's uh, it's about time to, to catch up with you. So it's it's great to uh, to have you on the show again. Yeah, congratulations on being so prolific. Uh, 151, that's great. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's just drip by drip, really. It's uh, one per week and they, uh, they mount up. Uh, yes, uh, I mean, thankfully we're out of uh, the COVID period, although I had it recently and I was in isolation, but we're, we're over all of that, uh, that craziness, which was dominating the, uh, the conversation for a while. And now we're getting on to, to other issues. Okay. So I thought we could chat uh, now about uh, the US GDP figures. And we had some big news uh, last week. Uh, it's last week in Australia. You're you're still on Saturday there, I think, Darren, in uh, in the states in DC. And we've got two now. We've got two consecutive negative quarters of GDP growth. So GDP grew at an annualized rate, or it didn't grow. It fell at an annualized rate of zero point nine percent in the June quarter, and that followed a decline of I think it was one point. 6% in the uh, the March quarter. That's at an annualized rate. Okay, so there's a big debate about whether the US is in recession or not. Darren, what do you think? Is the US in a recession at the moment? Um, well, yeah, I, I would say so. Both, it, you know, I must admit, um, in, in this conversation, you know, certainly you're going to be more expertise than I. You, you're you're a guru of um, sort of macroeconomic um, indicators and all that, you know, particularly from your treasury background, but other things you've done too. So, you know, maybe I'll be asking you some questions too and and, and hoping to get some answers. But yeah, um, I'm not sure. I'm, maybe you know the answer to this, but, you know, the entire time I've been, you know, first studying economics and being an economist, 
Um, putting aside the debates on whether two consecutive quarters is the greatest definition or not, um, it seems to have been the definition for a long time. Um, and the most interesting thing I've seen recently, and I, I guess this would have you know been headlines, um, I imagine, in Australia as well, was the Biden administration going, no, 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 that's not really the technical definition of a recession. Um, I don't think I recall an administration, you know, Democrat or Republican ever, um, they, you know, they may come up with excuses and say it's not, well, you know, it's not our fault, it's the previous administration and all that sort of stuff, or, you know, external circumstances. But this is really the first time someone's ever, you know, um, including, you know, some of the economists that the Biden administration has are on record, obviously, talking about in the past that, yes, the recession you know, the technical definition, if you like, is the two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Um, so it's been very um, interesting times, again, I guess, in the 2020s, um, including a lot of media organizations and our favorite, uh, you know, sort of neo-Keynesian economist Krugman coming out and also defending that the Biden administration on, oh, well, it's not really a recession. So um, it certainly fits the technical um, definition that, you know, if you like, I grew up with. Um, and, you know, that's, that's certainly my impression, you know, just actually being in the U.S. Um, is it dire just yet? Um, yes, on the inflation front, yes. Um, but unemployment, you know, still um, is uh, fairly low. And uh, putting aside the fact that participation rate, you know, that's a little bit of a worry. But um, the unemployment rate's not so bad at this stage. And usually, obviously, that's a you know, if you like a, a key secondary um, indicator besides GDP itself that people usually turn to right away, with, you know, before they maybe dig into, you know, what aspects of GDP have gone down, energy, manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So there are a few things you mentioned there, Darren. So you- but yes, not, not a strong yes. So yeah, I'd say yes, technical definition, eh, you know, kind of weak yes in a, in a kind of more judgment point of view. Yeah. So you, referred to what the White House was saying and what Janet Yellen in the Treasury was saying. So I might just read that out uh, and then we can go from there and I can, I can let you know what, what I thought about that. So what, um, what Janet Yellen said, and this is reported by the Financial Times, the White House has maintained that the US economy is not at present in a recession with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying earlier this week that she would be amazed if the NBER declared it was. Okay, so what what she's talking about there is the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is, I think it's attached to, is it attached to Harvard or MIT or one of those uh, East Coast universities? There's this elite group. No, of- I think it's... I think it's independent. I mean, look, I don't know, but I think it's 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 more independent than even being associated with one particular university. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, but it's it's an elite group of macro economists, some of the top people, and you'll have it's some well of the regarded. Yeah, some of the leading lights of economics on it, and they will they will date the business cycles. They will declare whether the economy is in recession or not, and and generally what they're looking for is a sustained downturn that lasts several months, so more than one quarter. And they look at a broad range of indicators. So it's not just GDP, but but having said that, um, it looks like GDP is a very, I mean, it's an important part of it because it's that comprehensive measure of economic activity. And um, one thing I noticed when I I was preparing for for our chat is there was a report from CNBC 
where it noted that um, I don't think there's ever been a recession that the NBER has called which didn't have two consecutive quarters of uh, GDP growth, if that makes sense. So let, where's the actual passage here? I think that's not correct. I think they, they did, um, they called the recession, you know, during the, the pandemic, and that wasn't two quarters, I think. So they, they do have a bit of leeway, but they tend to, yeah, usually use the two quarters as part of the definition as a, you know, key component. Okay. Look, I'll have to check that. I thought I was reading, I thought I read that uh, that earlier today. I had that somewhere here in my notes. Okay. Okay. So we might go back to what, uh, what Janet Yellen, what she said here. So she underscored the message at a press conference on Thursday, emphasizing that the economy remains resilient. Most economists and most Americans have a similar definition of recession, substantial job losses and mass layoffs, businesses shutting down, private sector activity slowing considerably, family budgets under immense strain, in some a broad-based weakening of our economy. She said, that is not what we're seeing now. Okay. Uh, it, it seems to me that's, that's a pretty risky call from her because it does, she is running the risk that, that uh, the NBER does eventually define this as a recession, and that's going to be incredibly embarrassing for the administration. So, um, yeah, that would be my sense of it. I think it is a big call from Janet Yellen, and it, it may be too early to tell. But look, a lot of, there are a lot of economists out there who seem positive about the US economy. But it does, that said, it does appear that, I mean, is it the interest rates? Is it what the Federal Reserve's been doing that's causing issues? Is it inflation that's hitting consumers? What do you think are the main forces affecting the US economy at the moment, Darren? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, you definitely touched on uh, uh, two key components. Um, but to, just to comment on Janet Yellen, but, you know, Janet yep. Yellen was, was totally wrong on inflation. So, mm. you know, um, you know I, and that didn't seem to <laughs> impact her sort of um, credibility within her sort of pe- circle that she, she goes around with and the people who um, you know, hire her. That didn't seem to make any difference. Um, so probably won't next, you know, when um, she's proven wrong on recession, which I think she already has been. Yeah. I mean, that inflation's like one of the key things that's, um, you know, the biggest problems in the U.S. and obviously even the Federal Reserve, which has been, you know, uh, <laughs> the Federal Reserve is, is part of the process of creating inflation. So, but, you know, th- they've they've gotten spooked, even if the Biden administration itself has not, which they, you know, at least publicly, they keep on, you know, they, they don't seem to be, you know, they acknowledge it a bit, but they don't really kind of acknowledge it as as bad as it, you know, even the, the official statistics are showing. Um, so, you know, you have like, you know, I guess we've talked about this many times, but, um, you know, you have kind of two things going on at once, you know, they're, the unprecedented levels of money printing, yeah. um, and, and you know, and the credit that goes with it, um, which you know, from a if you like, from a macro point of view, is is hitting the demand side, and then on the supply side, they're doing all sorts of you know, the, the Biden administration's policies are just hurting supply, um, and hurting productivity, so and competition, so you know, that can sometimes you know make up a lot for that um, money printing. You know, the supply side can react to it. And really dampen um, what you know, sort of the, the money, uh, sort of the demand side of things. So you know, energy is a classic one. You know, they had a complete 
180 on their energy policy. So the U.S. went from the number one energy producer in the world to not that anymore in you know record time, essentially. And is that the Biden administration's fault, in your view? Yeah, well, exactly. It's it's not just their fault. That is literally their policy. Um, you know, they they're they're going for the sort of green transition, if you like. No, you know, come hell or high water, right? So, um, which includes you know, um, not allowing uh, oil companies to to extract oil and all sorts of things, uh, so oil, natural gas, coal, etc. Um, and they've also hit agriculture with bad policies as well. Um, you know, manufacturing. Yeah, it's it's you know, literally, if you want to destroy an economy, the Biden administration is is basically ticking all the boxes of of you know with their policies. Um, and you know, putting aside, you know, you, you can argue whether it's intentional or unintentional, but I think um, there's not too many, if you like, remotely free market friendly economists who think the Biden policies are particularly good. Right. Okay. Uh- I'll have to have a closer look at some of their policies and and come back to that. Uh, I just yeah. want to go back to that definition of recession. I think I might have mis, uh, I may not have communicated properly what uh, that uh, factoid in that CNBC report was. So what they were saying was that, in fact, every time since 1948 that GDP has fallen for at least two straight quarters. So they're not saying that if it's that they would. I mean, there could be recessions if you don't have this, and that's what you were saying with the pandemic. That was like you could call a recession if you don't have the two negative quarters. But what this point is is that in fact, every time since 1948 that GDP has fallen for at least two straight quarters, the NBER ultimately has declared a recession. So you can have a recession even if you don't have the two quarters, but every time you've seen it. In the data, they've, the NBER has ultimately called a recession. So what Janet Yellen has done is, yeah, that's a really big call on her part. And, I mean, Janet Yellen's someone with a distinguished academic reputation. And, uh, yeah, so really, uh, really big call and potentially it will uh, will backfire on her. So, uh, you know, have to wait and see about that. Uh, yeah. Janet Yellen's been making, you know, look, she's she's seemed to have sold her soul for political purposes. Um, not unusual, not not, you know, it's not like this has never been seen before. Most of her sort of like topics when she gets into public is less focused on inflation and and you know, recessions, and she's talking about equity and diversity and inclusivity and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, as per yeah, well, I guess, you know, I guess she as the the head of um treasury. In the U.S., she is a political appointee, so you know. I guess you know that is a, to some extent, a political position. Um, although you know, usually in the past, it's been you know, Department of Justice and, and Treasury have you know usually been less partisan, if you like. You know, the, the people, regardless of whether it was um, Democrat or Republican in charge, but you know, things have changed quite a bit. Um, certainly, this century, and certainly in the 2020s. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so you mentioned the uh, the supply side before. I mean, one thing we've had in Australia here is just the the ongoing disruption to supply chains, and I mean the you know random things just being unavailable in the supermarkets. Qantas seems to have lost its mojo. 
uh, <laughs> can't seem to run a flight on schedule any 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 time anymore. And you know, partly that's because they lost people during the pandemic, and and now we've got people on isolation leave. Like if you get COVID and you have to isolate for seven days, and that's disruptive. Things just don't, don't seem to be working as they once did. Is that the same in the states? Have you noticed that in the US? Yeah, um, I think to some extent less. Um, although I understand aviation's been kind of bad here too, but I haven't actually been. You know, I'm just going on the sort of news reports and, and talking to other people that yeah, they've had you know things. Well, you know what happened in in, in the US probably maybe more than Australia is a lot of pilots either were you know let go or just left because they didn't want to get the vaccine, right? Um, so, you know, that was in uh, the federal government has a bigger say in aviation than they do in, in other industries, for instance, particularly on um, employment. And um, so, yeah, that's all contributed, um, including also understand not just pilots, but, you know, other people in the aviation industry, um, you know, various hubs, you know, the, the, the people needed at the airports and the hubs as well, you know, similar sort of circumstances. Um, the, yeah, the supply chain disruption in general, I haven't noticed it as much in terms of like, you know, like at the grocery store. Um, there was a period where there was a little bit of that, um, and but not as bad. Um, but certainly, you know, there, there were issues as well in the U.S., um, perhaps maybe not as bad in terms of like, you know, grocery stores and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's been yeah again. The 2020s have been very weird times, and I don't think it's some sort of like natural market outcomes as such. Obviously, markets react and they, you know, they get impacted. But I think there's just the amount of really over the top interventions and, and and status sort of policies in the 2020 2020s has taken me by surprise. You know, we've been creeping backwards, if you like. Um, towards bigger and bigger government, and I think you know reaping the rewards. I don't, I don't know why people, even people who, you know, seasoned economists who should kind of know better, um, you know, the more the government does stuff and interferes, the worse things get. It, it literally is becoming like more and more like an Atlas Shrugged world. I don't know if you've read Atlas Shrugged, or yeah. you're probably like familiar with the premise anyway. Um, it's it's like that. Yeah. You know? um, who is um, John Galt? You know, like yeah. Unlike Atlas Shrugged, there, there, you know, there were places to escape to in, in that world, the fictional world of Atlas Shrugged. There's not many places you can escape to in this world when you know all the governments are have uniform sort of policies on COVID and uniform policies um, of not tackling inflation, and, you know, and all that. And maybe it will be interesting to see if um, the elbow government copies the Democrat lead, which I suspect they will. You know, if, if Australia gets too quarters um, of negative growth that they'll go, oh, that's not really a recession. You know, we'll be interesting to see if they, they go down that road as well. Yeah. I mean, one thing that we've, uh, we've traditionally relied on to keep the economy growing is uh, migration, just the, you know, addition of people and, and that boosts consumption. And so that's starting to pick up again. Um, look, uh, yeah, possibly they'd try and redefine it. I mean, I don't think we're we're at risk of that at the moment. Although, having said that, consumer confidence has dropped with the you know the higher interest rates. So people are freaking out over just the the increases in interest rates we've seen already uh, because it looks like they just you know borrowed lots of money during the when interest rates were really low and the and you you had the 
I mean, the Reserve Bank Governor, I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it. He Last year he was saying, oh, the interest rates will, they, they, our official cash rate will stay at 0.1 until 2024 and arguably he misled people. And so, I mean, he really has a lot of questions to answer for and there is the Reserve Bank of Australia Review, which I've talked about in this program. I don't know if you've had a look at that at all, Darren. The, no, the, no. Tell, tell, give me, give me a synopsis of what, what, what drove that and, and what's happening. Well, I mean, the RBA's been under a lot of criticism in recent years for for different reasons. I mean, there, there's been one group of economists who've been critical of it because they argue that they didn't uh, that they kept in, they had interest rates too high in the lead up to the pandemic. Now, whether that's true or not, I. I think it's debatable, um, but I've had people like Peter Tulip and Steve Kirchner on the show. I mean, they, they're they're very good economists, uh, so I, I think it's it's worth considering their view for sure. Their argument is that if you were trying if you were trying to achieve the inflation target of two to three percent, so that the so they they were arguing that because inflation was actually lower than that, you had scope to have looser monetary policy, lower interest rates to have more employment growth. And there was some modelling that was done by Andrew Lee, who's a Labor Party MP and a former ANU professor, and Isaac Gross, who's an economist at University of Melbourne, I think. And they showed that if the RBA had uh, met its inflation target, it allowed, if it had lower interest rates and let the economy grow faster, you could have had, I think it was like 250 to 300,000 more jobs in the economy. So there were a group of economists criticising the RBA from that direction and they were saying that, well, the RBA was too concerned about households taking on too much debt. So they didn't want to have interest, they didn't want to put interest rates lower. And look, I mean, I could see why the bank would be concerned about that. So that's why I'm not fully on board with that criticism of the bank. Um, that That said, I think... It, it is good to review the uh, the Reserve Bank because it is a bit of a it's it's not exactly transparent what they're doing. So I think there could be greater transparency. And uh, I mean, since last year when you know, Phil Lowe was making those sort of bold calls that turned out to be wrong within months, right? I mean, it was obvious that in the in the new year when we started getting those inflation numbers that the Reserve Bank would have to act. Uh, and so, yeah, I think they lost a lot of credibility over that. So it's important now to to have this review. And they've appointed so Caroline Wilkins from she's a former deputy governor of the uh, Canadian Central Bank. They've got Gordon De Brewer, who's a, a former bureaucrat. I worked for him when he was in the Treasury, and he was also at ANU at times. He's good. He, he's good value. And Renee Fry McKibben, who's a professor of economics at ANU, and so they're going to review the board. Like, the, how's the? Uh, there, there are issues to do with board composition. Who's on the board? There's issues to do with the the inflation target. But I, I'm not sure they'll do much about that. They might tweak some of the language, and then there's issues to do with the transparency of the board's decision making. W- what do they release to the public every month? So that's essentially what the review's about. And and I think it's. Uh, it's a good thing that they're doing that. So yeah, that that's it. So yeah, it's worth definitely worth keeping an eye on. 
Okay, we'll take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. If you need to crunch the numbers, then get in touch with Adept Economics. We offer you frank and fearless economic analysis and advice. We can help you with funding submissions, cost-benefit analysis studies, and economic modelling of all sorts. Our head office is in Brisbane, Australia, but we work all over the world. You can get in touch via our website, www.adepteconomics.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. Now back to the show. So are they, the reviewers, are they sort of, you know, left of center for the most part, you know, like a a Keynesian, an MMT and a, you know, something else or or what's, what's the story there? I'd say they're typical mainstream uh, macroeconomists. So however, however you'd like to characterize that, um, they're definitely not MMT. Uh, if you had to give them a label, maybe you could you give them a new Keynesian label, possibly. But yeah, they're not. I don't think they're radical in in any particular direction. They're non-political appointees, which is a good thing. One of the biggest questions and something that. Uh, I think the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, so Albo, as we call him, one thing he will be, he'll be getting pressure to put a trade union representative on the board. So they've had one in the past. I think Bob Hawke, our former Prime Minister, was on the board in the 70s when he was the head of the ACTU. And then we've had various other ACTU secretaries on the Reserve Bank board. There are some people pushing for a regional rep. you know, one thing that Peter Tulip, who's chief economist at Centre for Independent Studies, has been pushing for, he's, he's, he's said that the problem is we don't have enough people who know about inflation and monetary policy on the board. And so we need more of those people. We need more. It'd be better to have um, uh, more economic experts or economists on the board. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe also further, how about a variety of views and not just the one kind of you say mainstream, and but that's still a, a worldview. It's still it's a, still a way of looking at things, and it's not the only way of looking at things. You know, the the combination of you know essentially new Keynesians for the most part with maybe a little you know like 80, 80 20 Keynesian monetarist. You know, that's maybe what you know most mainstream sort of macro folks. You know, that's kind of what they've learned and and whatnot. Um, be good to you know have something else. You know, have a, an Austrian point of view. Have maybe a full-on monetarist point of view, you know, whatever, just something that's not just the one point of view, you know? So, so it's not just tweedledee and tweedledum, you know, um, every time for the, you know, either on the board or this review, you know, I'm not saying these people aren't smart or anything like that, the three people you mentioned, but I suspect they don't, they're, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of push and shove between the three. So I think the, re- the review in a way, presumes that there won't be radical changes. I mean, we're not, I mean, the Reserve Bank's going to continue as a an institution. Uh, we're still going to have fiat money. Is that the sort of thing that you would you think should be up for review? That we should be looking at something more fundamental? Well, at least have one person on there who can be the dissenting voice to say mm. something like that. But I'm saying, like you know, like you know, even if it was like say one Keynesian, one monetarist, and one Austrian, I think you know, you might get a pretty decent review out of that. You know. Um, with the monetarists, if you like, in between the two, to some extent. Um, so you know, you still have two, two to one, two to one. You know, want to keep a central bank going, but be just you know, good to kind of be realistic about you know what 
you know, what, what a central bank does and, and um, you know, what inflation is, what monetary policy is, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's fine if the board, you know, I'm not saying you know, the board should be all full of economists, even if it was a mix of those types of economists. I, I'm, I think it's fine to have some other, you know, uh, you know, depending how big the board is, you know, you know there would be room, I guess, for a union and a business representative and maybe some other stuff as well. That's fine. And then they should also review, you know, also the, you know, the goals of the Reserve Bank, you know, um, mm. obviously what's written in their legislation. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there besides inflation, you know, maybe, you know, just to look at it and kind of um, whether all, all that needs to be in there or whether there should be a better balance or you should prioritize and go, you know, inflation's number one and then something, you know, that type of thing. Um, it'd be great if it was a, you know, a lot of these reviews aren't all that genuine. You know, they already have a, a political goal. Um, I mean, you say they're not political, but it always is, you know, um, you know, to some extent. They're under, certainly under pressure anyway, regardless of who they stick in there to review things. Now, in the past, you know, some of these reviews have been a lot less political than others. There's always a political element, you know, like the, the competition policy review wasn't particularly political, but there's always a little bit of an aspect to it, of course, you know, um, I'd be surprised if they're not under, you know, some fairly great political pressure to, you know, start going beyond and start looking at, you know, kind of cultural war type stuff too, you know, that they want to ingrain, you know, sort of okay. uh, race and gender, race and gender and all that other stuff. You know, um, I, I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised if that isn't going to be a part of the review. So as far as I'm aware, Race and gender won't be at this stage, I don't think. But one thing that possibly will be now, whether this is a culture war issue or not, I, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I, I'm not sure. It's, I guess, it does get. There are aspects of it that are part of the culture war, but the debate about the climate. So uh, Warwick McKibben, who is uh, he's you know professor of economics at ANU. And he's actually the husband of one of the reviewers, but you know she's independent of she's she's her own person. You know what I mean? I mean R- Renee Fry McKibben. Sure. She she's uh, <laughs> she's Warwick's uh, wife. Actually, by definition, you know, at least the old school definition, marriage is you're not you're of one flesh. But anyway, but yeah, I understand what you're trying to say. Okay, yes, yes. So I don't think she'll necessarily go along with with Warwick's view. But Warwick was at the conference of economists in Hobart. Uh, two weeks ago, where I caught COVID, um, and he was on the he was it was a good conference. Other than that, it was a great conference yeah. and <laughs> super spreader event. Yeah, that's right. And Warwick was on the panel, uh, and they were talking about the Reserve Bank review. And one of the things he one of the points he made is that oh we've, we'll have to we may have to amend. Actually, I think he's saying we will have to amend our inflation targeting settings or our, our our goals or objectives or how uh, we'll have to amend that to incorporate climate change because we have to recognize that if we're going to be uh, increasing well if we're going to be responding to climate change and we're going to introduce a carbon price and one that increases over time so that's the that that's what you need to have that sort of lowest cost adjustment path so to minimise the cost of adjusting to climate change, you'll need to have a carbon price that increases, and so that's going to be increasing prices. So you'll need to look through the inflation. You'll have to ignore the inflation that comes from the carbon price. So I think culture war issues won't come into it. 
but the I think the cli- climate change will come into the RBA review. Okay, well that's good to know. It's um, terrible news, but it's um, not surprising though. But but doesn't it make sense what Warwick is saying? I mean, if you're going if if a if a government does introduce a carbon price and you're going to have increasing prices because of that, then that's that's not really inflation that the central bank should be concerned about. I mean, what do you think of that perspective? No, well, the thing is, if it's a, it still should be concerned about it, even if, if you know, you, you know, this is all about thinking about the costs and benefits. That's like just, just to show me, okay, well, look, you know, um, we're just not going to worry about the downside of our carbon tax and our climate policies, you know, because it, it, it's such a, you know, unquestionable good to pursue this. Um, it, that's that's ideology. That's not economics. That's really bad economics, um, and it's also bad constitutional law. You know, like to what enshrine, you know, uh, certainly a very long-standing fad, you know, of, of the climate sort of industry. But you know, in the concept of inflation, you know, is, is something that stands the test of time. We can disagree on various aspects of it, but it's always going to be, you know, to the extent you're going to have monetary policy, inflation is going to be an important thing to be thinking about, right? Um, climate change uh, may not be, um, you know, like I've, you know, been following this debate since the, the mid nineties and, um, you know, I, I can tell you, well, just look at the polling, you know, I can't speak for Australia, uh, but in the U S it's, you know, something along the lines of it's well outside the top 10 of topics that people are concerned about in the U S for instance. Um, then you want to start because, you know, elites like him, are in a position to influence these things. They want to shove in, you know, the things that that they care most about. Um, and I think it's just atrocious to think you can stick that into the Reserve Bank Act. Um, yeah, sure, you another government can come along and potentially change that if they want. If the if the electorate says, "All right, you know, you, you've been trying to convince us that that the end of the world's been coming for thirty years, it hasn't arrived. We no longer trust you." Um, sure, that might happen, and then you know a government could change things. But you know it's always a bit um, hard to change stuff in legislation. A lot of damage can be done in the meantime. Okay, so on where it's where where they'd make the change, it, it probably wouldn't be in the act. They would have it in the agreement between the treasurer and the reserve bank. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think the general view on the reserve bank act from the late fifties was that oh look, you know some of the language is a bit outdated but you know maybe leave that alone you can do all you need to you want to do within the agreement between the treasurer and the reserve bank uh, so i think that's where they would they would adopt something like that um so yeah just on that reserve bank act i think i think what they talk about in that is that the reserve bank is supposed to set monetary policy to for, to have a stable currency uh to have to achieve full employment and to promote the prosperity of Australians, or, or something, something broad like that. Yeah, yeah. So they'll probably leave that, and then they'll they'll do whatever they want to do with um, regard. You know, if they if they did want to put some wording in about climate change, it'll probably be very vague because it is all very vague. What's you know? I mean, what do you? We don't really. I mean, I've got no idea what's going to happen here in Australia. I mean the. Uh, politically, it's uh, you know it's such a vexed issue, and you're saying it's not in the top ten issues in the US. It's certainly in the top ten. It's top five, top three here in Australia. I mean, you, the the previous government 
lost blue ribbon seats, seats that it's held for decades, seats in affluent areas of Sydney and Melbourne, and it lost them because of climate change, because people in those seats are extremely concerned about it. Yeah, look, there's a different point of view, um, you know, that uh, certainly they did, um, but I wouldn't extrapolate to say that that is a, that means Australia as a whole has the same views as these inner city suburbs. They've just changed the demographics and, and the ideological viewpoints of these people. That's why, that's why they lost. Um, you know, the, these are, you know, just like we've seen around the world, it, it's, you know, the, the, it's the, the rich and upper class professionals who gravitate towards status policies and status causes like climate change. Um, the working class and, and the middle and lower middle classes do not. Um, and, you know, electoral politics, you know, isn't just a straight representation of what the entire nation um, views necessarily. And putting aside the fact that the polling is often biased and bad and, and misleading and all that sort of stuff, put that aside. Um, uh, so, yeah, no, I've seen some other people who, you know, Australian, you know, intelligent Australian commentators, James Allen and people like that, who, who've been having a good look at that to see whether that, you know, that mainstream narrative is actually true. They certainly lost, obviously, those seats. They were blue ribbon, um, but they've been changing and moving left for, for a while now. Um, so, but, you know, I've, I've been just commenting, obviously, particularly in the, in the U S you know, um, how climate change is almost really a non-issue from, you know, a broad electorate point of view, not, um, you know, not any specific electorates. Um, yet, uh, that doesn't stop the policies from carrying on. And then you have all these perverse outcomes of like, you know, um, I imagine Albanese will get. And we'll copy a lot of what the Biden administration is doing, you know, the push for electric vehicles. Well, um, you know, electric vehicles are still being produced by coal and natural gas, you know. Uh, so you're really in, in many ways, you're not you actually might even be increasing carbon dioxide emissions through transitioning to electric vehicles from from petrol vehicles. Um, and the fact is, you know, most of the world is actually increasing the use of coal. Um, obviously, India, China, Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and even and there's even been a cold, like I said, there's even been a cold comeback even in Western countries as electric vehicle usage gets ramped up. Um, so, you know, that, that and, and, and these people don't go, oh, no, we, you know, they still keep the same people who say there's an existential problem, keep on producing, keep on pushing electric vehicles, for instance, so that their actions speak louder than their words, that, that it isn't really an existential crisis. Um, putting aside the fact that obviously all these elites tend to keep on buying beach side homes and all these sorts of stuff. Um, I think just look at their actions, um, speak much louder than, than their words. Um, so we're getting this system where we get a worse electrical system because they keep on showing, throwing more and more unreliable and expensive renewable energies on top of it. Yet they're not actually starting to take much of the load of electricity production. They're just sitting there costing more money and hurting the rest of the system. Um, yet we're still relying and we're going to keep on relying on, on coal, natural gas. And the only renewable energy we're going to rely on to, is going to be, you know, water, um, hydro. And, uh, you know, putting aside the fact they don't allow many new hydro to be built, but it's bloody reliable. You know, in the U.S., Quebec is, you know, if it wasn't for Quebec, all the, the hipsters in New York would be having more blackouts because they're right. relying on 
a lot of that, you know, hydro from Quebec coming down into the U.S. Where where is that? Is that near Niagara Falls, or is that is that yeah, up in that region? Yeah, I mean, Quebec is like you know the king of hydro in that part of the world, not just for Canada. In fact, um, Quebec is mainly supplying electricity to the U.S. because right. you know the population is bigger in in that sort of the northeast of the U.S. Um, so, you know, that's kind of insulating them, you know, sure, they can shove on some more solar panels and wind, but that's not really generating a whole lot of electricity. Um, and we also have the perverse effect from that, you know, you know, the main thing that besides all the kind of pollutant, the, the, actually the toxic sort of chemicals and all the stuff that, that that's needed for electric vehicles, needed for solar panels, needed for wind turbines, which obviously have detrimental environmental effects, um, they need coal, natural gas and hydro to make those things in the first place. Not just to be the ones that really, you know, supplement it when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, but if it wasn't for all the, you know, the, the fossil fuels, they couldn't even build this stuff in the first place. So it, all you're doing is shoving all this stuff. People are making a lot of money. A lot of people are virtue signaling. Um, you know, sort of, you know, they keep on crying wolf for what, like thirty years now. Um, there's, you know, there's nothing. You know, there's there's, there's no significant evidence that there's a problem. Well, I'll push back and say we just had a 40 degree Celsius day in uh, England that they've never had in their whole history. And so that we'll That's have, not we're going to go back and you look at the paleontological, you look at the, the evidence. Oh, right. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're claiming, okay. for instance, in the US, that this dam out in the Colorado River is having, you know, it's because of climate change is, is at its lowest level. Lo and behold, a study, you know, two weeks prior to them making such statements show that they've had lower levels on the Colorado River 2,000 years ago. You know, so, no, I mean, yeah, and we've had warmer periods. We've had more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in, in times. Um, no, none of this none of this is, is, is accurate. It's, it's all cherry-picked to scare the poop out of people um, to accept these policies they want anyway. And you watch, when we're old men, we're going to be, people will go, yeah, look, okay, this thing didn't happen, but I think it was the right thing to do anyway. You know, you hear that a lot, even now. They go like, well, even if we're wrong, it's the right thing to do. How is it the right thing to do to make people poor and have people in Africa starve? How is that the right thing to do? Okay, so in a future episode, we'll have to come back to this, Darren, and we'll we'll see where we are with the with the data. Well, I mean, you want to see the green policies in action? Look at Sri Lanka. How, how, yeah, how's yeah. Out? Look, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not advocating for these policies necessarily. I'm, yeah. But I, I do recognize oh, no, 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 that no, that's not aimed at you. That's just kind of aimed yeah. at like whoever's watching this. It's like, you know, you want to see the future, um, the potential future. That's Sri Lanka. That's you know that that's you know the way you know Australia could look. You know, if if they're not careful. And what what did they do? They actually required organic uh, 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 organic produce. Did they? They ban did they ban the importation of some. Fertilizers, yeah, for or fertilizers, you know, and yeah, so you know that yeah, fertilizer was was a main thing using, you know, green organic things instead of actual fertilizer. Um, you know, they they've really, you know, this is what this is what's happening in countries like Sri Lanka and African countries is to get their aid money, they 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 do the green agenda essentially, um, and it's just a disaster. You know, um, I'll tell you the countries that won't be it won't be China, it won't be India. You know, the bigger countries that don't need the foreign aid, you know, they're not going to, you know, it's like, yeah, fine. And, and there's also strategic implications, obviously. Guess guess where, you know, who controls the, the green energy market ultimately? China, communist China. 
do you, I well, mean, it produces I mean, a lot maybe, of the solar panels. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, wind too. Mm. They're they're you know if they are almost a monopoly on this, you know, um, and increasingly all the support technology for it as well. So and and China, this, this is not a, a coincidence. It's not like ooh the market chose China. They were just the best people to do it. This is like this is a plan. It's a strategy by the Chinese government. They and it, you can see it's written down. There's books written on this by them to show this is what we're going to be trying to do. You know, they, they basically it's their Mein Kampf. So don't be surprised. You know, like you know when they when some of this stuff comes true. Um, you know, they they have a, a plan. The, the Chinese economy is not a free market economy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, it's a it's a government controlled run. For the purposes of, you know, for the benefit of the Communist Party and the strategic interests of China, you know, the, this is—it's not like you're dealing with, you know, the Netherlands, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so that—that's also a huge thing, um, because they're an aggressive military power, and you know, when the time's right, you know, they're—they're—they're going to take action. You know, Taiwan and whoever else, you know, eventually over over time gets in their way. So. You know, to to aid and abet this, you know, through these green policies that that are aimed at a problem that doesn't really exist, or certainly not in the scale, and certainly even if the problem doesn't exist, to de you know to essentially decarbonize your economy is just like literally the worst solution for it, um, and to decarbonize it in a way that you know benefits China immensely. Um, that, these are just terrible policies the whole way through, and and you know. Um, you know, you know, people hopefully one day will be held accountable for this. Right. Okay. We might um, go back to GDP just before we wrap up. And um, yeah, I, th- I think I agree. Look, there's a big look. There's a big debate to be had about those those policies for sure. I mean, from Australia's perspective, given that I mean we're we're such a small part of the world, doesn't make sense for us at this stage to to adopt those policies on a large scale i mean we i mean we should my view is we need we should try to cooperate internationally but we need to ensure that that other countries are are following through with their commitments and i'm not sure that that has always been the case or it is the case um so that that's yeah my my perspective on that um on gdp i guess the view is that that my sort of thought is that yeah Janet Yellen certainly went too far the US possibly could be in a recession despite the fact that jobs growth has been strong despite the fact that you've got unemployment at 3.6% you could be going into a you could be in a downturn the gdp figures if you look at the composition of them you had inventories falling that was a big part of it so uh, businesses were selling goods but they weren't replacing their their inventories, so that that could be a signal that they're not expecting. They're, they're worried about the future, about future sales. We had a drop in residential construction. That was one of, and and so that's that's probably driven by the increasing interest rates. At the same time, consumption spending was up. So that's why some economists are thinking it's a bit of a mixed report, and and we're not entirely sure. But yeah, my take on it would be. Yeah, the GDP numbers are definitely something to be concerned about, and Yellen probably went too far when she said, "Not, we're we're not in a recession." I think that certainly could come back and uh, and bite her. 
Darren, do you have any final thoughts on the GDP numbers or where the US economy is at? Pretty much agree with what you just said. Uh, and obviously, time's going to tell. Um, I think the Biden administration policies are very bad. Um, and um, that's going to come home to roost. So I think, um, you know, it, it's not going to be good times um, economically for the US. And if it's not good times economically for the US, it's not entire world. Um, China, um, you know, is obviously a major player, but it's not the really, you know, in terms of it, it's not the engine of growth for the world um, just yet. The U.S. still pretty much is. So, uh, you know, when the U.S. sneezes, everybody catches a cold. Yep. Yep. That's right. I remember that. That was a, that was a popular, it's a popular saying in Australia, <laughs> in uh the Reserve Bank and Treasury. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Darren Brady Nelson, thanks so much for your time. It's great to catch up. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Always uh, great to be on your show and, and see you, Gene. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's the end of this episode of Economics Explored. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please tell your family and friends and leave a comment or give us a rating on your podcast app. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you can feel free to send them to contact at economicsexplored.com and we'll aim to address them in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Until next week, goodbye.